Hey, Chicago Fire and Major League Soccer fans, welcome back to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast. I am your host, Nick, and on this, our 49th episode, we're recapping the Chicago Fire's 3-1 loss to Orlando City. We waited over two weeks for them to come back, and this is what we were treated to. Ugh. Anyway, we're still going to talk about it. We're going to talk about some of the disappointing play from the youngsters. We're going to talk a lot about some Chicago Fire coaching developments. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about a coaching development out in Portland, as well as preview the Chicago Fire's next opponent, Western Conference bottom dweller, Los Angeles Galaxy. So stay tuned for all of this and more in tonight's episode. Hey, Fire fans, welcome back to the Feed the Fire podcast. Again, I am Nick, your host. Tonight, as I mentioned prior to that pretty sweet intro music, if I may say so, uh, we are going to recap the Chicago Fire's 3-1 to loss and look ahead at their next match against the Galaxy. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of the Orlando City match, I just want to say I was at the game and I had a great time. I was with one of my best friends and his son. I had my son with me. And it was so much fun to go tailgate at the Waldron deck, to see all the people, to feel the energy that my friend who had, you know, been to a few soccer games, studied abroad in Europe, went to some games there, went to some fire games in Bridgeview. But now that our kids are all playing soccer, like he's getting back into it. And that's really cool. And on top of it, we got to meet up with a loyal listener of the show here, Alex P., Thank you for reaching out and emailing me and for anyone else who wants to to talk a little fire. uh, I'm at glasshousesoccer at gmail.com. It was great to talk to Alex to hear his story of getting into soccer after the World Cup and saying, why shouldn't I go to these Chicago Fire games right here in my backyard? And he he was there with some of his family. He was getting them into the game. Excellent, excellent story. Great time. Alex, it was a real pleasure to meet you and your family. And thank you for reaching out to me, man. I really do appreciate it. And always the support and the listening. And also we got to meet a few of the other young guys sitting next to us in the seats. And even though my seven-year-old son may have heard a little of some new language from them, it was a great time talking soccer with them, educated fans coming to the games and enjoying the atmosphere, even though it was a loss, even though it was disappointing. It was a good time had by all, you know, again, setting aside the results. Now, speaking of these results, it was a three to one loss to Orlando. And and rather than kind of break down the goals and and look at what happened and what went wrong in those specific plays, I want to take a little broader look here. And let's talk about some of our younger players here who need to do better if the fire are going to do better. And I'm going to start with striker Yorgos Kutsias, who gets the start, who I was so excited for, who my son, because we're Greek, is like, Kutsius is starting. I want to buy a Kutsius jersey. And they didn't have hardly any youth jerseys in, in the shop, unfortunately, especially one with anyone's name on it, like a Kutsius. You can get it custom done there, uh, I believe. But, you know, we, di- we didn't see it there. I wasn't about to spend 70 bucks on something that didn't fit him. Anyway, I digress. Let's start with Kutsius because I've ripped on Shibilko for mailing it in and just pretty much I've given up on him and he's given up on the season. So also criticize other players who had poor performances, who have missed sitters like Shabilko had, like Kutsias did in this match, right? He had two goals disallowed. The first, he was offside by a knee. 
And when you were in the stadium, it looked like he was even, and it looked like the ball was even played backwards or laterally. But when you look at the replay, his knee was offside. I was texting with John Donovan, our featured guest during the game, and he even said, yeah, you watched the replay. It was the right call. So he he's offside on what should have been an easy tap-in. Just slow the run down, veer off a little bit. Or Brian Gutierrez, you could shoot, but more on Gutierrez later. Also in the second half, he was called for a handball in the box to help him gain possession before shooting. I think this was kind of a the opposite of the initial one. I was watching. I was even. That's where exactly where I was sitting. Eighth row, even with the penalty spot, right around where Kutzius was when he got called for the handball. The problem I had with the officiating was it was the head ref who didn't exactly see it. You had the defenders from Orlando saying he could control it with his hand. It looked like he did control it with his hand, but it was the far assistant referee where Kutzius had his back to him who was the one consulting with the head official that, yeah, it looked like he hit it with his hand. Let the goal stand and go check it. I don't think there was an offside or foul call on that one, and I didn't see the referee signaling as such, and we didn't see the flag go up for offside from the assistant referee. So it had to have been the handball. But I went back and looked at the replays recently. It actually didn't look like he handled it that bad. And if you're someone who really wants to nitpick the letter of the handball law, that's ball to hand didn't really affect the play too much. There was no defenders around him, and he still had to turn and shoot the ball after gaining possession. So, honestly, I think that one probably should have stood. Maybe that's me looking at things with Chicago fire glasses on. I don't know. But anyway, Kutsias misses two from inside the box due to being offside and due to handling the ball. He also, in the first half, misses a sitter from, I don't know, maybe 7 to 10 yards out guys it right puts it over the crossbar and i'm telling my son who either wants to play goalie or wants to play striker depending on the day but you know he's got good examples of each here in chicago eh, maybe not striker but he can relate to kutzius being greek so i'll give him that but he's leaning back i think he just gets too excited and just like oh my gosh the goal's so open in front of me i'm gonna strike it when he all he needed to do was just pass it to the back of the net now he puts in the work but his age and inexperience are clearly showing. And even you look early on before any of these disallowed or missed chances, early, early on in the game, Kuzius makes a run behind the defense and Shakiri plays the ball over the top. Now Shakiri plays the ball over the top, gets past the defender, but he's playing it towards the middle of the goal. Whereas Kuzius is making his run into the channel off kind of to the side, kind of veers away from the defenders. And Shakiri is on his case, and rightly so, telling him, you make the run to the middle. It does you no good to make the run to the outside when I'm playing the ball over the top of the defender. You don't need space. You just got to get a step past him, and you'll be in on goal. Now, Gaese had read it. I, he had come out a little bit. I think he was going to make the save uh, regardless if Kutzius had made a direct run. But again, youth inexperience, combine that with a little bit of a technical finishing ability, it's not going well for the 19-year-old in his first year in Major League Soccer. But he works. His work rate is second to none, and we've seen him create some scoring opportunities and some goals for his teammates just out of pure hustle in the past. And he's also getting into these spots. That is something that is very, very difficult to teach a striker, is where to make your runs. Now, the one that Shakiri was yelling him at, yeah, 
you're either going to go in or you're going to go out. He went out. It was the wrong call. But when he's getting into these little open areas where Gutierrez can kind of find him or where a little through ball kind of sitting in between the two line defensive lines, that's hard to teach. And it shows that Kutsias does have a lot of potential in this league. Someone else who has a lot of potential that underperformed in this Orlando match, Brian Gutierrez. And again, he might be the best player. He might be the best future player. He might be the focus of creating for the offense, but we have to criticize him when he makes his mistakes. And he should have shot the ball instead of laying it off to Kutsias. It was the easiest play from a goal scoring opportunity, but I want to see him shooting the ball more. He needs to add goal scoring. I mean, shooting in general. I don't know how many shots he has. I bet if you put him against other midfielders in this league, he's probably towards the very bottom about shots, shot, uh, shots on target and expected goals. He needs to start shooting and he also needs to start taking players on one V one. And I looked at the guys next to me during this game when Gutierrez also skies one from close range, gets his feet kind of caught under him, leans back, puts the ball over Again, terrible form, not good technical ability. I look at these guys and say, well, it's plays like that, why he's not playing in Europe yet. And it's his inability, and I really think it stems from a lack of confidence, both for shooting and being able to take on defenders, as to why he doesn't have more assists, why he's not creating more offense for the fire. There is a time around the 70-something 80th minute where the fire had some really good possession, trying to cut the lead back to a goal and, and get it get their second goal on the night. And the ball was just moving laterally. They were moving quick. They were keeping possession, but it was just moving laterally. No one probing the defense. No one, try, no one trying to take on a defender one-on-one to maybe draw some other defenders out of possession and then lay the ball off. Gutierrez needs to work on those aspects of his game. But maybe the silver lining is because he has to work on these things, he's not going to get sold to Europe. Maybe the fire organization, whoever the next coach is going to be, more on that in a little bit, whoever the next GM is going to be, maybe they give him an extended contract and you have then kind of a spine of the team with Chris Brady, Pineda and Tehran, Gutierrez and Kutsius. That's some young talent. That's very solid. And if they don't go overseas and if the MLS loosens up the salary cap, if they add a fourth DP spot, keep these guys here and build some offense around them and, the fire should be in a lot better shape after that if they do that than they were this season. Now let's transition to the coaching because I said we're going to talk about that. There's some big coaching news, little coaching news. First of all, C.J. Brown was in charge of this match, the assistant coach C.J. Brown, because interim head coach Frank Klopas tested positive for COVID. As the guys in the stand said, is COVID still a thing? Who's still getting COVID? Who's testing for COVID? Well, Apparently Klopas did, and it was positive, so he was not in the building uh, during this match. C.J. Brown took the helm. I was kind of hoping he would put a unique stamp to the game, but for the first half, it was more of the same, and I think it was even a regression tactically. They came out in their usual 4-2-3-1, but for large stretches of that first half, we saw a defensive midfielder and designated player and supposedly top 10-something player in the Swiss League Usman Dumbia dropping back and almost playing as a center back and doing it while they were in offense. I don't understand it at all. When Even when you have a five-man back line, when you're in offense and you're possessing the ball, you only need two guys in the back. He needs to be up the pitch more, helping to transition to offense. 
and, and drawing in some defenders and distributing to your attacking players. He was playing center back for large parts of this game. And then you had Tehran and Pineda to either side of him. It blew my mind. Again, I don't watch the Swiss League. I don't know what they were doing there. But Usman Dumbia was supposed to be this great passer with assists and key passes and chances created. And said he was playing center back with these guys for long stretches of the first half. So a regression tactically. Also, I really liked what CJ did in the second half, switching to a two-striker set. We have criticized, at least I have criticized, the Chicago Fire for putting Casper Shabilko as a lone striker where he did not do well in that type of role in Philadelphia. He was excelling as a second striker with someone he could play off of. And in the second half, they brought in Shabilko and Kamara. The problem is Shabilko has, has already given up on the season. And it was so evident in this game. Again, he's mailing it in. He's dropping too deep to receive the ball. He's making runs into Kai Kamara's space. And Kai's yelling at him. And what does Shabilko do when Kai's yelling at him about the bad runs he's making? Just kind of walks off to the side. Again, his head is not here. And I don't care if he's making a million dollars. You need to send him down to CF2 and bring up some other young kids and see if they can do something, whether it is spark some competition on the senior team or prove that they deserve some more minutes at the senior team uh, for the rest of the year. Also, there was a token appearance from Jairo Torres over the last 10 minutes or so. But again, he's another guy who has failed to live up to his hype, his price tag. And guys, let's be honest. The Chicago Fire aren't a great team. They don't have all-stars on this team. Jairo Torres should be someone who can walk in and make an influence on a, on a fire game, but he's not. Sticking with coaching, after the match, C.J. Brown said the following. If we hope another team gets us into the playoffs, then we don't earn it. We need to earn it. Now, he's not exactly wrong here, right? The, the fire haven't done enough to earn being in the playoffs other than the fact that they, they're they in ninth place, and because nine of 15 teams get in, they will technically make the playoffs. They'll be in that playoff game against the eighth-place team currently Montreal, to get into the, into the knockout rounds of the, of the full MLS Cup playoffs. So he's not wrong in that sense. But on the other hand, I, don't, I hope this doesn't discourage the team should they actually make the playoffs. To me, the playoffs and, and a postseason, it's about your body of work, right? Just like in a, a single game isn't decided by a single moment most often, you usually have a whole collection of plays and positive plays and negative plays that result in whether you win, lose, or draw. Just like in an NFL game, if a kicker misses a game-winning field goal in the last second, is the coach going to come to the podium in the postgame and say, well, the kicker missed it. It's all his fault. We did everything else we could have. No, no, no. There were a number of other plays that, that guys could have made. Typically, there's a dropped interception or a dropped first down or a sack given up or a sack missed. Things like that that lead to scoring opportunities in favor or against you. Similarly, in an NBA game, you have an even bigger sample size, right? When, when there's a thousand different things going on on every offensive and defensive set. Same thing in a soccer game, same thing on a soccer season. For C.J. Brown to say, we don't want to back into the playoffs, well, it's a whole body of work. And it's you're comparing your 34 games to those of the other teams in your conference. So I hope it doesn't get down on the team in the event they make the playoffs that they feel like they don't deserve to be here and don't take it seriously. But on the flip side, 
this could be kind of self-made bulletin board material where if the fire do back into the playoffs, he can say, show me why you deserve to be here. Show the people in the stands and watching and at home why you deserve to be here. Or you can even say to the team as, as it goes on throughout the, the rest of the season, or if they make the legitimately make the playoffs, hey, you deserve to be here. Go out and play like it. So maybe he's creating some future positive, inspirational messages. The other thing I liked about what C.J. Brown said post game was he took a lot of the blame for the team's performance and for the loss. He said, I'm the leader. I'm the coach. I put the lineup out. I'm the one standing on the sideline. And I have to stand in front of these guys and in front of the media. I forget exactly how he said it and answer to it. I have to answer for these results. So I really appreciate him stepping up and taking a lot of the blame for that, especially when it's easy for a guy like me to say, hey, Kutsias missed a sitter. Gutierrez missed a sitter. Shabilko's mailing in. You can put a lot of this loss on the players. Teron whiffed on, on clearing the header that led to Orlando's first goal. Like you, you can really put a lot on these players, but CJ Brown came out and said, I have, I'm the leader as the coach. And I like that he said, I'm the leader as the coach. Hope, is, is he kind of lobbying for that head coaching position come the come next season? I don't know if it's going to happen given some recent news, but I love the fact that he said it. Um, also, when was the last time a Chicago Fire coach came out and said, this is on me? I, I, I don't remember hearing that from Wiki or Ponovic or Klopas or anyone else of recent history, which has been a lot of coaches. So I, I could be wrong. I haven't listened to every press conference over the last five years, but it seems unique to CJ Brown. And it really made me respect him a lot more than I already did. So at the end of it all, the fire remain barely above the playoff line. They're sitting in ninth place in a wild card spot. They've got 32 points on a very balanced eight, eight and eight record. Now we're going to talk coaching after our sponsor break. So I'm going to remind everyone now that the show is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. And I will encourage everyone, especially in the Chicagoland area, get to your local 7-Eleven. Get a few bottles of Skira because the heat index is supposed to be right around 100 for large stretches of this week. Stay hydrated. And also I had heard that Skira might be coming to some Walgreens in the New York area. So keep a look out for that, our New York listeners. And with our Skira sponsor break, we also have come to the part of the show where we're going to turn things over to our featured guest, John Donovan, uh, to talk about all things Chicago Fire Orlando City. And I'll remind everyone, John actually played professionally in Venezuela back in the 70s for a few years before returning to the Chicago area and setting up a number of successful businesses. So we appreciate John's insight as a former player and his organizational insight as a businessman. And John, on the podcast side, you're going to hear his segment. And on YouTube, we're going to take just a few second break. Take it away, John. Nick. John Donovan here talking about the Chicago Fire and the MLS and the League's Cup. I'd really like to start out with good news. The League's Cup to me was sensational for a lot of reasons, Nick. First off, it showed that the MLS can play with, obviously can play with most of the the Mexican teams. I know there was a lot of griping that they had to come up to the States and had to do a little travel. 
big deal. They're sitting on an airplane. They're not running. It's it's they're staying in nice hotels. I don't take that as an excuse. Now, if they were taking buses from Los Angeles to New York or to Miami, then they'd have a gripe. But not when you sit on a plane and you read a book or listen to your music. No, these guys are pros. They get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to play soccer. Shut up and play. Um, but the, the league's game, the games were wonderful. And what can you say about the final game? It just, I it, it ended kind of late for this old guy, but I was up and just on the top of my my toes on this game. I mean, to, to think of it, it went to the goalies. And the final one was the goalie uh, from Nashville missing. It, it really was a good game. It, uh, it looked like old Messi was a bit tired, and I don't blame him. He's played a lot, and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle his hours. You know, if, you, if he's traveling, he almost has to pay, play because people have bought out um, stadiums for him. Now, if he's home, I would imagine they can manage his hours at home um, because people will have a ch- better chance of seeing him play. But he really has this ma- magical touch with the ball. I just don't know where it comes from. It's... Uh, He'll touch the ball four or five times, and bingo, it's a goal. So um, I'm glad he's in the league. I love the attention that it's bringing to the league. It's uh, it it really is a new new game, and I just hope that the fire catch on now to get to the Chicago Fire game against Orlando. And you know the Chicago Fire. I'm sitting here shaking my head. You know this this coaching situation is a mess. So Klopas obviously is trying to push his Greek buddies. So what does he do today? He takes a seat. He doesn't come to the game, I guess. C.J. Brown took over the team, and this Greek dude, who I guess was the Cyprus national coach, is on the bench. So how insulting is that to C.J. Brown to bring in a, quote, replacement for him where he's qualified to be a head coach um, he, he made some moves today that I thought I haven't seen from the fire in a long time um, that, that I thought were interesting. I mean, he actually, actually made some tactical moves that you could see on the floor that assisted his team. And I'll tell you the tactical move he made. He, he, you know, Tehran is not playing like he was prior to his injury. His passing especially is off. It's just not. Uh, doing well, but he is a good player. So he's kind of moved Dumbia. He's playing a very center uh, back position. It's almost as if Tehran is playing off to the side of him. And Pinedas at times is playing up. So um, it's kind of interesting. I Last game, I did not like Dumbia. I, I thought he, he was kind of in Spanish flojo, meaning slow. But he played a, a rock-solid game today, and he does have good passing. He's obviously been around football his whole life, and it shows he's, he's got some skill. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, how many times, guys, do we have to see um, Miguel Navarro ruin this team with their, with their opportunities? That, you know, that penalty was in the box. He didn't have to make it. He just, you know, he gets all heated up. He, his, his. There's a word in Spanish called comportamiento, 
and his it's his attitude is just not team oriented he fires off he gets everybody angry i've never seen a referee change a, a call because somebody's arguing with them it just doesn't work in fact it makes them madder so between him and uh shakiri i mean they were just all over the place today shakiri came out with what looked like a a bruise under his eye but you know those things happen it happens and the way Navarro takes these dives and you could see that the the Orlando guys were like amazed I mean you th you blow at this guy and if it's a contentious ball he's going down and the referee will call him for it it's embarrassing that's all I can say is it's embarrassing now who had a good game in this game I really like the way Dean played um, he's got some really nice speed on him. He's very mellow. You don't see him getting involved in these crazy scrums where, you know, nobody wins. He seems to take care of his right side really well. He's, he, he's steady. Um, he covers the area and he overlaps. I mean, he had a beautiful, beautiful overlap with Selassie, um, today. And, you know, that, that kind of leads me back to the offense. I, Kutsias is going to be a good center. He's 19. I mean, he he made two mistakes today on that. With the first goal that he had that was called back, he was offsides. I mean, he should have uh, timed himself there. He could have done it very easily. Um, we always had, when I played, you had to be a step behind the ball all the time. You didn't get those offside plays. Um and that play, Gutierrez could have scored too. So either way, both of them um, kind of were at fault. And then that second goal with the handball, you know, unfortunately it was a handball. I mean, it, 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 he didn't argue very long. I mean, the ball popped up, hit his hand, and it came down in his foot. So, um, you know, but I want to see them keep playing him. He is the youth of this squad. Casper and Kai... You know, Kai's good for the last 10 minutes, but um, it's got to be Kutsias and Selassie up front. Um, they are the future of this squad, I, if they stay where they are. Um, it, it, it just, it's going to be, guys, really interesting what Monsueto does with Heinz and really with Klopas. You've got to clear Klopas off this bench. Um Watching Seabury Brown today, I was almost embarrassed for him. I mean, the guy has been around. He was had a great career as the fire player. He belongs on the squad. Um, I, I'd love to see him get the head job. Uh, or somebody that has that's an American that understands the quality of our play here, of players from this country. You don't have to always go over to Europe or South America to bring in these guys. There's a lot of really good players in the country. Um, I mean, we've got a few in our squad, Gutierrez, um, Pineda, both excellent players. Uh, we could have had more, but they just don't, you know, pay much attention to them. So, you know, next week we'll just have to see. I'm sure we're out of the playoffs with this loss. Um, I hope this is not one of, or the start of one of Klopas's dives at the end of the season. Um, it, it, I don't know what they're doing with the coaching. It's, you know, why would you do this? You're, you're finally in the playoff run and you pull some experiments with coaches that the guys don't understand. They don't know what's happening.
it uh, it's weird, but the fire are weird. So listen, hope everybody's back next week. Hi, Mike. Um, we'll we'll try to get another win next week, guys. Thank you very much. John, thank you again so much for contributing to the show, for bringing your passion for the fire, for the sport, for the league uh, to the Feed the Fire podcast. We really do appreciate it. And again, John's segment as well as the show brought to you by Skira, Icelandic Spring Water. Now, I've teased it a few times already. We're talking coaching here because on Thursday the 17th, Chicago Fire announced that head coach Frank Klopas has named Nicholas Kostenoglu and Theodoros Antonopoulos as assistant coaches for the remainder of the 2023 season. Now, real quick, before we pick apart the coaching thing, the, the, the bulletin put out on MLSsoccer.com, I read just that. Head coach Frank Klopas. Not interim. They called it head coach Frank Klopas. I don't know if that was just someone typing or if I'm reading between the lines there with my little tinfoil hat, because supposedly Klopas doesn't want the head coaching job, but isn't that what you tell everybody? No, 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 I don't want it. I'm humble. I'm happy to be the assistant. You know, whatever the club needs from me, I'm here to do. What if the club wants you to be the head coach, Frank? You're going to take that back? I'm getting ahead of myself here because the rumor had been uh, several, several weeks ago. And if you go back to episode 38 of the Feed the Fire podcast, we talk about it in great depth that the rumor was that Nico Kostenoglu was going to take over as the fire head coach. And here we are. He's been cited at games on the bench, on the sideline, on the, in boxes uh, over the last month or so. Him and Antonopoulos both have been seen around the organization. Now it's finally announced. They're all the assistants here with interim manager Frank Klopas. Again, go back to episode 38 and check it out. But in sum, Kostanoglu, an underwhelming signing. But it is what the fire can attract at this point. He's not a winning coach. I think he's had one winning season, and it was a really, really good winning season uh, coaching Ike Athens. But I will put some context to that. Even though he's not a winning coach, and even though he's had a number of stops, he's had a lot of interim manager seasons over in Greece. He's gotten a few head coach, like he's gotten a couple head coaching jobs, but always wanted to go back to Ike Athens, the club where he played, and I think the club where he met Frank Klopas when they were playing, maybe. Um, so he had been an assistant with Ike Athens, and then, you know, they fire their coach. He takes over for a season. They bring in another coach for a couple of years. He leaves. He takes over for a season. So as a head coach, it's been kind of inconsistent tenures for him, and as a result of that, I would say uh, his coaching record isn't very good. Um Ike is one of the top, I'd say top four, maybe top five clubs in Greece and supposedly has a good academy system where he did spend uh, some time coaching early on in his career, as well as I think he coached their U20 or U23 team for a season or two. Um, so he he does have uh, some experience at different levels of, of a club organization, but most recently he was the head coach of the Cyprus national team, uh, did that for about a year and a half. Again, a very, very poor tenure when you look at wins, losses, and draws. But I don't even think Pep Guardiola is going to get uh, a Cyprus team to be winning games, qualifying for Euros and World Cups, right? There just isn't the talent or development in Cyprus as there are uh, other countries in Europe. But that international head coaching experience is invaluable. And he can kind of hang his hat on beating a good Slovenia team uh, in qualifying for, I don't know if it was World Cup or for uh, a Euros tournament or Nations League game, but 
He did beat Slovenia. He's had some success at the club level. And let's hope it translates to working with the Chicago Fire. Now, the other assistant, uh, Theodoros Antonopoulos, was also on the staff with the Cyprus national team. But prior to that, he was an academy coach and assistant coach at Apollon Smyrnis FC uh, in Greece. And he, again, is learning and stepping up. These are young coaches. These are guys who could be here a long time if things start to work. Or these are guys who are going to be here for two to three years as the fire rebuild and Jesse Marsh becomes available. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Or am I? We'll see what's in Mansueto's head, right? But again, we didn't get Jesse Marsh. The fire didn't get Jesse Marsh. I don't know if they offered it to him. Supposedly there were discussions. Maybe he's holding out for a bigger position in Europe, especially after being part of the Red Bulls global organization and coaching in, in the Bundesliga and the Austrian league. Maybe he was holding out for the USMNT job and, and the fire just ended up moving in a different direction. Or maybe this is just what the fire can get, guys. It's not a valuable place. It's not an ideal place for coaches to land. You have uncertainty in the front office. We don't know if Heights and Pelzer, uh, sporting director and, te and, and technical director, are going to be around next year, if they're just going to move to Lugano in Switzerland, if they're going to be fired, if they're going to be given extensions. We don't know. We don't know what the roster is going to look like. The only good thing about the coaching job with the Chicago fire is that whoever your new GM is, you're going to have two or three DP spots, especially if the league loosens the purse strings and salary cap restrictions and adds a fourth DP spot on top of it, as the rumors are, uh, are coming out about um, that's the, that's what would make Chicago a, an ideal spot, right? The only DP you, you have under contract past this season is Shakiri. Maybe you can, buy out or somehow uh, manipulate Jairo Torres's young DP contract, right? But that's where we're at. And I think the fire have to either go all in on these Greek coaches, announce Kostanoglu is going to be the next head coach. Klopas and Antonopoulos are going to be his assistants. Um, they're going to implement the way they want to play. And CJ and Zach Thornton, thanks for all your work with the club. It just didn't work out. Timing, whatever you want to call it. Um, I wouldn't be thrilled with C.J. Brown leaving, and maybe he was kind of lobbying a bit for the head coach position by saying, I'm the leader of this team, uh, and in his post-game presser. And I hope he gets a shot, if not with the fire, with another club. And I hope Zach Thornton can also have a long, long coaching career as well. God, I remember going to games watching them play. Um, but I think the fire have to make a decision. What do we want as a team and organizational culture? Who's going to be doing that for us? Is it going to be the Greeks? Is it going to be the former players? Or is it going to be some brand new GM who's going to implement everything anyway? We don't know that. That's the next big question for the fire. Now, speaking of coaching changes, big news out of Portland. The Timbers have let go of manager Gio Savarese. And in the interim, assistant coach Miles Joseph will take over as manager. Now, I think Gio was in his sixth season as Timbers manager. Uh, he compiled a record of 74 wins, 62 losses, and 47 draws. Highlights of his tenure, two MLS Cup appearances, and winning the MLS is back tournament. But I really do think his, his release, his firing, his separating from the Timbers uh, was inevitable. And honestly, I thought it was going to happen two years ago. Uh, but somehow he kept getting the team to perform a little bit better. But this season, it was just too much. And when you lose 5 nothing. To, conference, to a conference rival, to the Houston Dynamo, you open the door for management to let you go. 
to show you open the door to being shown the door, I suppose. Now I, I give Gio credit. I think he really knew what the Timbers identity was during his tenure, a very solid defensive foundation, excellent midfield play. And then you had to rely on your DPs for offense. And when Valeri was in his MLS prime, when Blanco was in his MLS prime, when Diego Chara, even though he wasn't in his DP years, uh, was still playing high-level soccer uh, with those other two, that is when they were winning games, doing very well in the Western Conference, making playoff runs, making U.S. Open Cup runs, things of that nature. Um, it took a Sebastian Blanco-like throwback performance to win the 2020 MLS's back tournament, and they just haven't hit on their DPs. And also, they've been plagued by injuries, most notably Eric Williamson, never really became that great center mid that the Timbers needed and that the league wanted to see, you know, kind of a homegrown American midfielder really being a creative playmaker and also the kind of playmaker that the U S men's national team wanted to see and fans of the men's national team wanted to see. I don't think he would have ever supplanted Musa McKenney or Adams for a starting spot, but he could have easily been in the mix with like a Delatore as that first one off the bench had he not been injured. He was starting to mature mentally and with his game, and then the injury bug got him. So when you when you have all of this added up and you see other clubs like San Jose starting to get on the upswing, Minnesota signing some great players, uh, great maybe great from a signing sense, maybe not on the field sense, when you see Austin having early success, LAFC having early success and sustained success, it's time for a change, and that is what ended up in Portland. Sticking in the Western Conference, let's preview the LA Galaxy match. And real quick, I got to tell you all, I'm going to be on the News Across the Galaxy podcast, an LA Galaxy-focused soccer podcast tomorrow, Wednesday the 23rd. So uh, we're recording then. I don't know if, the, if it's going to be a live show or if they're going to release it later on in the week. But go find us on Twitter. Find Glass House Soccer minus the E. So Glass House Soccer. Uh, thank you, character limits. Uh, I have a thread going of questions, comments, things you want to know about, and we'll discuss it. We're just going to have a conversation with the guys over at News Across the Galaxy, and we'll talk about uh, anything Fire versus Galaxy. Now, to give a little context here on the LA Galaxy, they are 13th in the West. Only team worse than them is Colorado. Galaxy are sitting on 22 points, 5 wins, 7 draws, and 10 losses. They've scored 25 goals. They've allowed 37. Uh, so that is not a good defensive stat. The LA Galaxy, under Greg Vanny's tenure, have had very, very poor defending. That has always been their weakest point. Uh, they have been disorganized. Uh, they have had a lack of talent compared to some of the offenses that they see and and some injuries as well. Greg Vanny has taken a lot of criticism for sticking with his 4-3-3 formation through all of it. Um, and I think there have maybe been a couple games where he tried some different formations and the results were even worse. Uh, and I don't know if that was kind of uh, just to shut up the critics <laughs> in a throwaway game. Um, or if they, if he didn't train it and just decided to roll it out and see what could happen, whatever the case may be, the defense for the Galaxy has always been poor. They've been able to get into the playoffs and play competitive soccer because of their offense. 
But this season, the Galaxy's offense, particularly their strikers and their finishing ability of any player, has been, at best, subpar. You have um, Tyler Boyd as their leading scorer with four goals on the season. And then you have Judd and Ricky Push with three goals on the season apiece. Those are your top three scorers, four and three and three. And we have seen other strikers scoring three, four goals in the span of two games for other clubs. So, and, it, and it's not like you have a bunch of players with two goals behind them. The LA Galaxy aren't scoring. Which is going to be an interesting matchup for a Chicago Fire team that also has the same problem. Uh, getting back to that 4-3-3 formation, uh, that is what I expect to see from a Vanny team, from this Galaxy team. They have played 4-3-3 in their last five competitive matches. And here's kind of my predicted lineup or what I would expect. Jonathan Bond in goal, who's a decent goalkeeper. But when you have such a leaky defense, you can't be decent. You have to be outstanding. And I would give, uh, if Chris Brady is back and fully healthy, I'll give the edge to goalkeeping to Chris Brady. Along the back line, I expect to see Caligari, uh, Leardham, Mavinga, and Edwards. You may see Jalen Neal uh, come in for Leardham if Vanny wants to try and rotate some legs, or maybe he is a second-half substitution. Young player needs to get some minutes. Uh, in the midfield, I would expect to see Delgado, Aguirre, and Ricky Pooch. Uh, in the mid, you've seen them use Brugman a lot, but he was out with a torn meniscus uh, recently, and I doubt he's going to be back anytime soon, especially when you're probably not making the playoffs. Let your players get healthy. Don't, don't risk permanent serious future injury um, to rush him back for a wasted season or a, or a lost season in the sense of making playoffs. Um, so he typically starts in the center for the Galaxy, but due to this injury, I would expect him to be out. And then up front, you've got Boyd, Judd, and Douglas Costa as your attacking players. Now, Douglas Costa, again, one of these guys, a bigger name, a more expensive player for MLS, and has not lived up to the signing, has not is not produced to the level they needed of him. So whether he starts or whether Dalen jo Jovalich starts, uh, it's kind of up to Vanny and what he's feeling and what he's seeing in training that week. But it wouldn't surprise me if Costa starts, you see Jovalich come in quickly if things aren't going their way, or vice versa. And for those of you who haven't been following the Galaxy closely, you do know Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, their big name. He actually has been out with a torn ACL uh, back in June, had surgery to fix that, and he is out for the rest of the season. Uh, so that is a big reason why their offense has fallen off. Looking at the odds here, I looked at BetMGM, and again, it is only Tuesday night, the 22nd. They've got LA at minus 105, so slight favorites there. But they have the draw at plus 260 and uh, the fire to win at plus 260. So really what this means is if you're going to bet 100 bucks and Chicago wins, they're going to get 265 But if you're going to bet on L.A., you have to bet 105 to make 100 So that's why they're, they're slight favorites on this one. But I'm stunned that the draw and Chicago to win are essentially the same likelihood. Uh, additionally, I just wonder... For those of you who've gone on BetMGM lately, they got rid of all the Chicago, of the MLS logos in favor of just like generic colored soccer balls. So I wonder if that partnership has ended or if they decided to terminate that partnership given kind of the outcry throughout world soccer about having uh, gambling companies as sponsors and the ills of gambling throughout soccer and some of the poor countries um, where it's very influential, especially when soccer teams are very influential. So I, I wonder if that played into a little bit or if just their their deal was three years and it's up now. Who knows? 
But anyway, looking at those odds, looking at everything we've talked about, you know, I would expect the Galaxy to attack, uh, attack the wings of the Chicago Fire. We saw Orlando try to overload in the wings and on the corners and, and really work some mismatches. We saw them go after Jonathan Dean. And again, I think the guy gets a bad rap just because he, you know, he's was playing in college three, four years ago for UCF and then was with the Birmingham Legion USL championship last season. So I think other teams are looking at him as kind of the weak link and the defense, but all Jonathan Dean has done has been to play solid, solid defense, right? Uh, he's not an all-star. He's probably not going to get long-term guarantees from the fire, but the man's done his job. So I would expect though, to see this LA galaxy team, try to pick on him try to pick on Miguel Navarro, especially if they can get Navarro an early yellow card, which uh, he's been known to do a little bit hot-headed there. Um, But also with their 4-3-3, looking for those overloads, overlaps, trying to create some mismatches, attack the wings, and then get the ball crossed into the middle where you can get some runners, where you can get Push and Delgado running into the box as kind of a second or third option. If not that, I expect Ricky Pooch to get the ball at his feet and start the counterattack. And that is where we've seen the fire be vulnerable uh, when they have to scramble to play counterattack defense and also when they're passing off or switching off uh, defensive assignments. That is when they are vulnerable. All that being said, I think this game ends in a 1-1 draw. Again, we have two teams who are struggling with offense. We don't have John Duran on, on Chicago to run at Mavinga and ruin his uh, his MLS day like he did when Duran played uh, against Mavinga. Chicago played Toronto last season. I'm, honestly, I think John Duran just ruining Mavinga uh, is what got him his contract uh, over in the Premier League with Villa. And again, goal for Duran against Everton, team I support. I'm not going to talk about them anymore because that was a disappointing game. Uh, and that's why Mavinga is no longer with TFC either. But again, two teams struggling to score, two teams who don't have a lot of confidence, and two teams who, where they're at in the table, probably could, could care less, right? Uh, I think the Fire nominally are, are in the playoffs and are, and are, in theory, playing for the playoffs, but they sure don't look like it when they come out, especially in their last game against Orlando when they had over two and a half weeks to prepare for it. So I'll give this a 1-1 draw, maybe a 2-2 draw. And with that... I want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're on Spotify and make sure you do follow on Spotify. It's the best way to get the full show with all of John Donovan's takes and as well as um, downloaded right to your phone when the latest episodes are pushed out. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Reach out to me on Twitter at GlassHouseSoccer or via email GlassHouseSoccer at gmail.com. Again, thanks to Alex and his family for meeting this at the game. Thanks to the guys for hanging out at the game with us. Uh, thanks to the entire section of 142 for teaching my seven-year-old to chant ref, you suck, ref, you suck. Even if the ref did suck, I j- and I told him, I said, son, this is something that we only say at the soccer game just for a little bit. Don't do this around mom. I don't want to hear, get a call from, from school that says that uh, your son was chanting, teach you suck uh, during class today. So hopefully it's just, it's something we keep at the soccer game, right? But again, thanks to our listeners, to our sponsor, Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Uh, I'll be on with the News Across the Galaxy podcast. Make sure you go find them, give them a follow and a listen. And with that, let's go fire.